0: I'm Katherine Spearing, and this is Uncertain. Welcome to our second episode of Season 3. It's also our second episode addressing spiritual abuse during Spiritual Abuse Awareness Month. Our guest today is Connie Baker. Connie Baker is a licensed professional counselor who practices in Portland, Oregon. In addition to her private practice, she has been a counseling instructor at a local university, a seminar teacher, conference speaker, clinical supervisor, writer, trauma recovery specialist, trained life coach, and is the author of the book, Traumatized by Religious Abuse, Courage, Hope, and Freedom for Survivors. I really hope you enjoy this extremely informative interview regarding power dynamics and control in spiritual abuse. Trigger warning, this episode mentions sexual abuse and self-harm. Here is my interview with Connie Baker. Hello hi how are you doing good
1: it's kind of funny i <laughs> i scheduled this and it's working out great we fly out today at noon Goodness. we still have three and a half hour well we have, we're gonna leave for the airport at noon three and a half hours um so i did it right before we're going to see our kids in uh the las vegas area
0: yeah oh so, so fun so- that is so, so that is so very fun. I'm really excited fun. for you. I'm glad that it worked out. So, I came across, I actually don't remember how I came across your material. I think somebody just sent it to me at, at some point in time. Oh, who is, yeah. Who, uh, where are
1: you at again, Catherine? I...
0: I moved from Los Angeles to St. Louis just okay. in July.
1: So, you're a West Coaster
0: previously. No, I actually I've moved around a lot. I'm originally from the south. So I've moved around quite a lot. And so I was in LA for almost four years before I moved here. I am currently in St. Louis. I've worked for in every place that I've lived. I've worked for church. So I've done the the church circuits and went to seminary have a lot of Friends who are either in ministry or have had to retire for various reasons. So, um, slowly building this picture when it comes to the spiritual abuse conversation of, you know, there's spiritual abuse, but then there's like these toxic systems that create opportunities for abuse to happen yeah. and have slowly concluded. That there's something fundamentally wrong with evangelicalism, unfortunately. Yes. So
2: well, it is it's very yeah.
0: unfortunate. Absolutely. So thank you so much for all of the work that you do. I would just love to hear your story of how you came to your awareness of spiritual abuse.
1: Okay. Well, I <laughs> it's it's great to be here, Catherine. It, it's always I always think it's funny when people ask me that. And I always say, if you ever want to know personal history of a therapist's life, look at what they specialize in. (laughs) And so, because this is, it's what we do. And that's not across the board, but it's pretty strongly that. And so, yeah. So part of how I came to awareness of it was going through it. And I was not aware of what it was. This was back, I was 25 years old in 1990. (laughs) Do the math. I just turned 57. So in 1990, I was 25. And when I was 9. Years, old, I went to church that I gave my heart and soul to. I loved that place. I've truly never been to a church I loved more. That's the irony of the mm-hmm. whole thing. It's very sad, mm-hmm. but you know. So that that's the sadness of it. So I gave my soul to this place. Met a one of the pastors. I met the second Sunday I was there. He said, come into my, you know, come in and make an appointment with me. Cause I was really interested in the church. There were some unique parts to it. And I was, I was a Bible school graduate and interested. And so I went in and we chatted and it was great. And for the next six years, he was like my dad, I called him, I was in Portland, Oregon. I called him my dad in Portland because my parents lived in Southern Oregon and he was just, uh, just really, we were good friends and it was great. Probably know where the story's going. I was groomed. He, you know, for six years and then for six years, well, yeah, groomed for six years. And then I was sexually abused overtly. I was then aware of it for about nine months. I didn't call it sexual abuse. I called it emo- an emotional affair because I didn't know what to do with what was going on mm-hmm. um, it, between us and everything so at, at the point at which it all came forward the male leadership of the church they were all male decided that it was it, that basically blamed me mm-hmm. they also blamed him some but mm-hmm. he left the area and so all their anger and all their blame came down on me at 25 and they, I had to confess my sin in front of the church. I put that sin in quotes, had to confess my sin in front of the church Two two different services. And then I was asked to leave and move 300 miles away from the life I had built. I mean, I was heading to the mission field. I was, I was just given my soul. I was very high profile in the church. Mm-hmm. And so I was then told that I needed to leave the church after I confessed so that the pastor and his family could Heal and get better. What Um, the fuck? Yeah, 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 no. It it was, it was exactly. And and but at the time, I was like, I took the position. I will do anything to show you that I never meant this to happen. Mm. Never meant this to happen. And I was just so. I, I mean, I I I was obliterated. That's I can't find a better word. I was. Destroyed by this, and mm-hmm. and so I moved back to the Southern, 300 miles away from the life that I had built, and that I had nothing back there. My mom and dad lived there, and I'd grown up there, but I I'd built a whole life in Portland, and mm-hmm. so it was absolutely devastating. You know, I, my reputation was destroyed, my identity was just shattered. I had no clue who I was. I didn't know how I had the capacity to quote do this horrible thing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and cause I was still taking responsibility for it. And deep down, I knew I had been leveraged. I mean, you know, he told me I couldn't tell anybody because he was emotionally unstable and he had a gun by his bed and he'd kill himself if uh. I pulled. And so there was this entrapment and leveraging there. And, um, and this and, is a pastor
0: and, 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 a church. and he,
1: he was a pastor. And the leadership, I always say the sexual abuse and the horror and that probably accounted for about 25% of my trauma. Wow. 75% was what the church did with it. What,
0: that what is that powerful. I want people the, listening to hear that. How the exactly. church responded was more, tra- three times more traumatizing than the yes. sexual abuse.
1: And the sexual abuse was traumatizing. Mm-hmm. I am in no way minimizing the sexual trauma. But Mm -hmm. had they handled this with awareness and love and insight and support for me, it would have had an immensely different outcome. I mean, night and day different. Mm -hmm. And the sexual trauma could have been addressed sooner and uh, become more aware. Back in 1990 people were talking about sexual abuse. I mean, yeah. for some of you that's the olden days, but you know, they they were talking about sexual abuse. And so, had they been had this not been a patriarchal misogynistic situation where I was going to get thrown under the bus because I had no power because I was a woman, I was single, and I was young. Oh, mm-hmm. and by the way, the abuser was like 3 years younger than my dad. And so, Ugh. You know, there was and There's all this power differential within the relationship. So, Mm -hmm. all right. So that is basically my story up to that point. My story after that point is, I was suicidal. I -hmm. suffered severe panic attacks. I didn't even know what panic attacks were. Now looking back, I'm like, oh my goodness, I was doing horrible panic attacks. And and I took I took years. Well, I don't know. I'm gonna say how long it took me. And I want to tell you, there is hope. It does not have to take you this long, mm-hmm. but it was a decade for me until mm-hmm. I was clear that I was going to be able to live and thrive. And mm-hmm. so it was years and years because, you know, Catherine, you're, you're, you're hoping to bring language and awareness and everything. I had none of that in 1990. Mm-hmm. I had no one to say that's spiritual abuse, what that elder board did to you. You know, some people tried to say it was sexual abuse what happened to me and that came a little easier about three years after it happened i finally went oh yeah this actually fits the pattern i'd read something on sexual abuse just kind of randomly and went oh my gosh that's exactly what happened he groomed me he abused me and he entrapped me oh my gosh there it is mm-hmm. and so it was just really clear that part became clear but what but i also knew that what the what the elder board did with me was was so much more damaging mm-hmm. to, to everything about me. I mean, they ruined my career. <laughs> they ruined my you know finances. I mean, I had to move. It was just a total life upheaval. people. Mm. So, so it took me a long time because I didn't, th- there was nobody talking. I shouldn't say nobody. One of the books that ended up helping through that time was written back right around 1990, maybe a little before and it's a book written from a very Christian perspective, but from a very evangelical perspective, it's a pretty good book. And that's the subtle power of spiritual abuse. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, yeah, and that, that book, I don't give that book to everybody because I only give it to people who are still quite in the evangelical right. perspective, but it is good for that perspective. And mm-hmm. I still, I, still I, I went through such an interesting journey with my relationship with the, the church and evangelicalism. Because I realized, first of all, I asked myself, do I want to kill myself? I debated that for a while. I was suicidal. I decided no. Then I decided, do I want, where am I? Am I going to believe in this God thing after mm-hmm. all this happens? And I finally decided, "Ah, I feel like I know a little too much to completely walk away. It's just mm-hmm. my, my own experience. Mm-hmm. And some people walk away and I go, you, you do what you need to do. Because right. what is going through something as horrifying as what spiritual abuse is, I'm like. But my particular story, which I don't is not reflective of everybody's by any stretch. I finally said, "Do I want to hang out with the church still?" And what I see now is that mm-hmm. I wouldn't have known who I was at 26 had I left evangelicalism. I was already my identity was already so shattered, so mm-hmm. obliterated that that was actually one piece of identity, I still knew who I was. And mm-hmm. I came back into the evangelical church for many years, until I decided I was done with that part. Yeah. And so, you know, it was, it was an interesting story, because often, I like to see people get some space from it mm-hmm. after religious abuse. But mm-hmm. I also know some people are not ready for that. They, Absolutely. They, they're shattered so deeply. And so that's, that's a very individual thing. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so through all that, I just kept you know, thinking, man, what is this thing? And finally, about 10 years later, I started being able to give it more definition. Now, now we're up about, the, you know, year 2000. And nobody's really talking about this yet. Right. In fact, in my book, people actually started really talking about this culturally about 2014. Yeah. And that, that was the year that Bill Gothard blew up and that Mars Hill blew up. And mm-hmm. people actually started that I, I noticed because I, I was already working on this before for a cultural conversation, even I, I was looking all over the place for it. And there just was hardly exactly. any that yeah. year was the year I early in the year, I decided to give a seminar on religious abuse. And then everything blew up. And between that time I started preparing and I, I gave it and I'm like, wow, interesting timing. So, right. so there was nothing back there in 2020. Tw- in fact, I went through seminary to get my counseling degree and did a did a project on in small groups on what a small group for religious abuse survivors would look like. And that was 2004. And everyone was like, oh, this is interesting. What is, what is this? <laughs> you know, and, and yeah. so I'm trying to give, you know, give this, you know, clear back then, get, get my head around what was going on. But I knew it by then. I was calling mm-hmm. it by, 20, you know, 2005. I knew so it was, a, I would say, you know, Catherine, it was a slow dawning awareness of, mm-hmm.
0: oh, this gets a name.
1: Is, yes. This is what it is. And this is how it looks. So mm-hmm. that, was, that was a long part of my story, but it, I think it brought several elements. Yeah. You know, just who I am. And, no. Um, yeah. Like
0: and it's very helpful because especially the friend of mine who did a poll on Instagram and 80 people said that they, 80% of the people that responded had never heard of spiritual abuse. Like it is, it is fairly new. We have, it's not new. Spiritual abuse is not new. Awareness of it and naming it as that and being able to define, separate it out from a Christian practice versus this is abusive because they've become so enmeshed and so entwined. It's very difficult to know where it is you know, Christianity end and where does abuse begin? We just don't, it's hard to, to know. And so I think it's awesome that you came to this awareness. You wrote a book about it. You were starting to talk about it just as it started to explode. And so I think that's just awesome that you were there <laughs> at the beginning <laughs> yes. of this conversation.
1: Right. I mean, I know I, you know, I probably shouldn't cheer when uh, big names fall, but I'd have because it, forces conversation absolutely and you know and I, I feel like even you know it's interesting i brought up the mars hill because now everybody's into the yeah mars can
0: hill you podcast. tell me just digressing just a little bit have you listened to any of that oh, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. okay i would love to hear because i have mixed feelings about it i would love to hear your take on that podcast yeah. you know that podcast
1: if i were still evangelical let me put it this way i think for an a The one of the most staunchly evangelical institutions of Christianity today, it's been around for decades. Being who they are, I think they're doing a good job. I think they're doing actually quite a good job. I personally have a lot of mixed reviews because I don't necessarily stand with that, with you know, Christian, you know, I, I, with Christianity today in their stance and worldview. So, yeah, there's a lot of things. I think it's a great podcast i think it's going to be i think there's going to be some it feels like it's good, had a life of its own mm-hmm. it, 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 it's 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 getting giving birth to a life of its own and i feel like it's going to be pretty i i, I don't want to use the mo- word monumental too strongly but it is it is penetrating evangelicalism with this message and that's what i like i don't agree mm-hmm. with it all I, I would take issue with how they're framing certain things. You know, I, mm-hmm. I, I would definitely like, well, no, <laughs> mm-hmm. he missed it on that. But, but the fact that evangelicals are listening to it because it's Christianity today, that right. to me is, is the really huge upside of this podcast. Right. And, you know, a yeah. lot of us yeah. who, who've exited that world and, you know, are, are, you know, we can totally sit there and go, oh my gosh, seriously. Mm-hmm. But I feel like from within the system, He's trying to be fair, but again, that's a big qualifier from within the system. When you're in Mm -hmm. something, when you're in the system,
0: absolutely. Yeah. And I think at first I was like really excited because it was just giving people this opportunity to say, that's what happened to me. That's what happened to me. And there wasn't the (laughs) sexual abuse element, which that makes usually makes things sensational. So it was unique in that perspective. And, and it, and it, for a minute, it like seemed to like join these two opposing factions together of like, we can all come to this place where we agree that this was really messed up. Later episodes, it's gone and in directions that yeah. I'm, I don't find helpful. And, and I can see as being more invalidating for survivors. And it's not centering survivors. It's con- no. continuing to center the abusers. <laughs> right. <laughs> it centers the
1: abusers and mm-hmm. it centers a lot of the institution. And yeah. that mm-hmm. that is exactly part of the issue and again I think I take it as that I go no this is not for for it's not for survivors
0: yeah Yeah. it's for the evangelicalism to help under help them understand some of what is happening yeah
1: and with that survivors get re-traumatized because it's not (sighs) speaking to that so I mean that's that's what you're saying the whole time and yeah Mm -hmm. so
0: yeah, yeah. We did a we did an episode response episode to it because one of the episodes was just very problematic and 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 caused a lot of yeah, just that re-traumatizing for a lot of people and yeah, so again, mixed reviews, so I appreciate your your perspective on that.
1: And you said How- something really important, Catherine. Excuse me for interrupting for a second. You yes. said something super important. And part of why I again, I'm sure this could be used against me, but part of why <laughs> I was so glad when they finally got Mark Driscoll out of that position in 2014 is because it wasn't about sex or money at that point. Yeah. We found that's out there that's was that's money it. issues yes. later on, but, but at that point it was just because he was a bully and cruel and a power hungry leader who was hurting people. Mm-hmm. And so that, that, that was a victory. To yeah. finally see somebody fall with that big a name with, you know, that it kept his pants up as far as we know, I, you know, I mean, you know, as far it, as we know. yes, because we, we usually we've never it's always been about, you know, the church is so ultra obsessed with sex but mm-hmm. it's always been about sex when something mm-hmm. like this happens. Well it right. should that you know leaders should be busted when they're sexual acting out that's they yes exactly mm-hmm. That said, there's so much more and that's why in my story I I'm being as honest as I can when I see the sexual assault was 25 percent mm-hmm. but other people have gone through I mean, 25 percent but other people have gone through the 75 percent without the sexual And it is utterly devastating. It is is just as identity shattering. It's, it's, it's horrific. So Mm -hmm. yeah, I just think that- Would you
0: feel comfortable putting, like comparing them, like the devastation of sexual abuse and spiritual abuse, like saying they're comparable in terms of the damage that they can do? Yes, I think, I think they're comparable. First of all,
1: comparing and contrasting suffering is always a- yeah, uh, sticky thing yes. to do, um, but let me let me just say I think there are similarities. Definitely, there are similarities and distinctions. Mm-hmm. One of the similarities is both of the both of these areas go to the most intimate parts of our spirit, soul, mm-hmm. psyche, wh- whatever word we want to say. In there, it, it, they and interestingly, in the brain, sexuality and spirituality are right next to each other. In because the
0: of area. the intimacy level, yes. Right. Well, you think about it,
1: candles, incense, music. I mean, you know, it's just an interesting and and connection. And so, you know, so there's just, it's so interesting that those two parts of the brain um, are are, 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 are right next to each other. So, so both of these hit a very intimate, central part of who we are. And I think that's Mm -hmm. where, you can't compare and contrast. It's devastating. It's Both are devastating. It's, hor- it's horrific. And so yes. for me, and there again, for some people, if they went through the exact same story, let me be real clear on this. If they went through the exact same story, they might say the sexual abuse was 75 and the spiritual mm. abuse was 25. Mm-hmm. Totally legit. We as survivors get to say what our experience was. Absolutely. And so by saying, by saying my experience, that does not mean, somebody listening to me should would go oh my gosh well i kind of went through what she went through and it was the sexual abuse that wiped me out Mm -hmm. i'm like that is your story own it because it's true and so so i'm not saying that's right i'm just saying that's my story Mm so part of the the publicity uh, at least for me in my story of the spiritual abuse I, i don't even know how to say how bad it was it was the publicity Well, here's something. I don't know whether you guys talk Enneagram much at all on your show, but I'm a three with a wing four. Well, Catherine, here we are. Exactly. (laughs) And, and, And both of us are leaders and you know out there. Well, you've got this with me being a three, it was actually in my life. I look back at this, it was evil, it was wrong, but how I processed it was a gift because it shattered how people viewed me so deeply mm-hmm, that it, mm-hmm. it I actually have felt really pretty free from that for most of my life you know and that's the three thing is I gotta look that's good right. I gotta achieve I gotta make sure people get the right impression of me and there's mm-hmm. still areas of that that come up for me you know they will the mm-hmm. rest of my life but that at 26 shattered me so deeply mm-hmm. how I ended up coming back from it and processing it was a gift I was also a four so all the existential horrors that it, <laughs> that the whole abuse brought up yeah. was also, you know, overwhelming. And so it was an, it was right. an interesting combination there. So exactly. for me, the publicity of it at 25 years old was just unspeakable. I mean, Absolutely. you know, you would talk the Scarlet Letter, I mean, up there confessing my sins that, you know, That's in front of a so whole congregation.
0: Enraging to me. I'm just, enraged
1: <laughs> yeah yes, yes. It, 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 looking back I just think I'm enraged and I yes. wasn't at the time yeah I was just like oh my gosh I'll do it I'll Absolutely. do it I don't whatever you want from me I didn't mean for this to happen mm-hmm. and and I'm pretty compassionate with that for a while I got really pissed off at that 25 year old like mm-hmm. are you kidding me tell them mm-hmm. to f off right now and yeah. you know, now I look back I go oh honey no was yeah. no way you could do that There was no way you could have said that at that time, yeah. you, you, you did exactly. not have any of the muscle and resources to do that. Yeah. You know, and, you know, now somebody would say, you, you can't tell because I've got a gun by my bed and I'm too unstable. I'd be like, dang, good luck with that. Because that's, <laughs> not, that's not my responsibility. Exactly. That's not, because I, it's like, it's not being mean. It's just saying that's not my stuff. Right. That's, that's yours. Where I was a raging codependent back then. Mm-hmm. And I was responsible for everyone's life and everyone's emotions. And, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and, and so, and, and the abuser knew that, which they always do. Yep. They know yep. who to target. And by the way, okay, that takes me on a little thing. I want to, if I if you don't mind, I want to, that brings up, what does an abuse, what does an abuse survivor look like?
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: I think a lot of times when we we say I don't use the word victims because mm-hmm. I believe they're survivors but but if we're talking about abuse victims, just about any abuse, I think a lot of times if we're really truthful, we tend to see people who are quiet, weak, not quite yeah. they're just they're super, super sweet and, they would never make waves and they're followers and they're just mm-hmm. kind of, what I find super interesting is the vast majority of the worst spiritual abuse I've heard are people who are leaders, who are outspoken, Ooh, who are yes, committed, absolutely. Who, are, who, who are really strong and, and even opinionated. They're strong. They're often leaders, good leaders. Mm-hmm. They're articulate. They are usually bright. They're usually theologically super savvy. They so you've got this. Like I was I was vivacious. I was a leader at 25. I had a lot of responsibility in that church. I was high profile. Yeah. So, so I think it's really important that we look. Most of the survivors I know with that profile, they're not super shy and tired. they were a threat. Yes, they were our threat. And here's the underside i think i'm a pretty bell curve example and there's people off the bell curve but but i also was super responsible mm-hmm. i was also deep down very compliant i had opinions mm-hmm. but i was very authority oriented i would do mm-hmm. my family i grew up in said man authority is authority mm-hmm. i grew up in a fundamentalist household you know so the right. authority and you just do what it says and you know and so there's also and super co- hyper responsible people are often, I want to say always, because I've never seen it not happen, also very codependent. Mm-hmm. And so they're very responsible for everybody else's feelings and everything mm-hmm. else. And so you can be a really strong outspoken leader and still be hyper codependent. Absolutely. And that's where I, I was at. So they, I was mm-hmm. just worried about everybody else's feelings and making sure everybody was happy and mm-hmm. protecting other people people.
0: No, that's really helpful. And that's even validating for me because that idea that to be a victim is to be weak is, is, and I, and I think that might be a lot of reason why, because to be a victim is associated with weakness. But oftentimes, like you're saying, there's a reason why you become the target. There's a, and it's not because of weakness. It's because of, and in my case, similar, I mean, similar Enneagrams. I know like my main abuser in the church that I worked for in California. I know I was a threat. I know it. I know I stepped on his ego just by existing because I was really good at my job. (laughs) And, and, and it was just like a concert. I became a target for his concerted effort to just tear me down and destroy me. And I was just like, why would he why would he think that he could mess with me? Like, why, why did he think that that was a good idea to mess with me? I was like, well, that's why, like, that's why he, he came after me because it was, it was a threat to his empire. And so I think it's super helpful. Thank you for sharing that.
1: You're you're so welcome. I feel like that's a message I want to get to all survivors is, is I, I I mean, I don't even know. I, I know I've had like upwards of 500 people in my office at this point, at some point, you know, for some Mm -hmm. length of time. And I've, a lot of those are religious abuse survivors. And I just rarely, I can think of a few exceptions, but, but overall, these people are sharp, bright, competent, strong Mm -hmm. people who just got really, you know, got chewed up by the meat grinder of the Mm -hmm. machine.
0: What do you think these survivors need the most? Just on the ap- other side of the experience.
1: Yeah. No, it's a that's a great question. And you know, you and I were talking just briefly before this, and, and I was asking about what you do and getting more familiar. The the two I lead when I, I have a list of things that I'm watching for when I'm working with somebody or speaking on it. And the first two are education, which is I'm just so grateful, Catherine. This is what you're doing mm-hmm. with people is educating. What? What? How do we define this? Which we haven't quite yet. On our, we'll get there. But how do we define it? How do we describe it so that education? If I would have had just that, just that. If somebody would have put my my book in my hands back then. By the way, I wrote Mm -hmm. that book for me, back then at twenty-five. You know, to say here's what you needed to know. It would have been what does this look like? What is it defining? And oh, holy crap! This checks boxes. This is me. And, and that's what, I have a lot of lists, I think, in lists. And so in my book, there's just a lot of chapters are lists of characteristics with ex- explanations and talking about that's those. Amazing. And so anyway, then validation is the second one. I say, you need people around you to say, what the heck, mm-hmm. what, what, that happened to you? The funny thing is the church I was in was my life when this happened. And they're like, yeah, Connie sinned. And I go to Southern Oregon and because they can't remember all these people in the congregation can't take issue with the leadership or then they're in trouble because it was an abusive system. You can't, you, you get marginalized and if you take issue. So they had to go, they had to care, toe the party line. So then I go to Southern Oregon and I start slowly over the next couple of years telling a few select people my story and watching and but i don't i'm not ta- i'm not saying the word abuse mm-hmm. i'm not i'm just saying here's what very matter
0: factly this is what yes happened.
1: here's what happened to me and they're horrified and that validation that mirror reflecting back to me was what started well my sweet husband i met my husband right after this happened we started <laughs> don't recommend this worked for us we started dating within six months of me moving home after the abuse that was a whole other story yeah. Ooh, yeah yeah i not recommended but he looked right at me and after i told him the story and he said that was abuse and you know oh, i nice. mean i feel like that, that was kind of a a divine little appointment there and i went right. well you know there were probably abusive parts to it and he's like it was abuse and i'm like oh. mm-hmm. and so he was part of that healing that happened where he's like and he'd been a pastor ironically he was mm-hmm. ordained and you know he'd been a pastor and so you know he, he's like no that was abuse and so that validation mm-hmm. that we need so desperately and and this was back in the dark ages when the internet was not available to find people all over the world right who could connect and say look at what's happened to me. And so Mm -hmm. it was a long journey. So the validation, the other things on a, and I'll just, I could go on and I could do a seminar on all of these, but briefly, the other things I think survivors really need have to do with Mm self-definition. That's one of the things to self-define and say, here is what I want. Here's my three big questions for self-definition. What do I want? What do I need? And how do I feel? And in abusive Mm. systems, you cannot ask or answer those. And and so it's selfish, exactly. And that's what it's labeled. And it's, and so, but that is good self-definition. What do I want? What do I need? How do I feel? Mm. And that has to do with the B word, which is boundaries. It's like, Mm -hmm. that has to do with here I am, here's what I tolerate, what I do not tolerate, what I accept, what I do not accept. Those are boundaries. So boundaries are a huge part because when we've gone through abuse, our boundaries have been shattered. They have just been blown to shreds, and we have to learn how to use that muscle again. It's like mm-hmm. it's atrophied, and we have to learn how to how to build strength with that with that part of us that doesn't. It's so uncomfortable with boundaries. Mm-hmm. So, so boundaries, grief, going through the grief process. This is what I work with my clients on. the The loss in religious abuse is profound found at so many obscure levels things that aren't always easily identified but grief is a huge thing sorting out this is the stickiest one again I could do a whole day seminar on sorting out the triad of guilt control and responsibility
0: oh tell me about that
1: well oh to me this is this is (laughs) a core triad yeah don't get me going on this Catherine um anyway it's it it is because one of the primary tasks of a survivor is to say, what was I responsible for? What was I not? And how do I define those things? And it's deep connection with control, because Mm -hmm. if we are responsible, we can fix it. So, you know, people will often say what even for me, it was it was and there's shame in admitting lack of control. So I, for many years, wanted to say, oh, it was, it was an emotional affair. You know, that actually was much more comfortable for me than finally years later saying that was abuse, because mm-hmm. with that word abuse comes shame and powerlessness and saying, I didn't have options. Mm-hmm. And with who I was at that time at 25, I would do it the exact same way because I didn't have the resources to do it differently. Now, oh, I got the resources yeah <laughs> Back then, Don't I didn't even not- try it. Yes, exactly <laughs> I got the resources and, I, and I'm aware of it and I'm more self-defined and I've got you know way better boundaries. So but this whole triad of guilt and control and responsibility, if I'm guilty, it means I was responsible for something, which means I had control. And that is why you watch survivors hold on to, but I was responsible in some way because it means they had some control
2: mm-hmm.
1: in abuse. Unfortunately, you don't. And, and somehow they have leveraged you to where you don't have that. You don't have control. You are powerless in those mm-hmm. ways. So, so sorting through guilt control and responsibility are a huge part of it. And then I call the last one, I call it the F word and that's sorting through what, the, what forgiveness. I call yes. it forgiveness the F word because it mm-hmm. is it is a mess for religious abuse survivors. It is a mess. It's a, it's a trigger word. It's usually Absolutely. been leveraged against us. Mm-hmm. The demand. Silenced for-
0: you. Yeah. To
1: silence you, to demand trust. If you don't trust me again, you haven't forgiven me. Ugh. If you don't open yourself Huge. to me, you haven't forgiven me. I mean, the, the, it's a mess. And secular research shows us that no matter what we call it, some sort of letting go is eventually, and I'm using that word very strongly, eventually helpful for the healing process. I give people permission to not forgive as long as they don't want to. I think that's part of good boundaries. I don't want to forgive. Great. Right. You You're psychoanalyze right. all you want, you just do it. Yeah. Yes, whatever. <laughs> you know, forgive, don't forgive. What we know is that eventually some form of letting go, debt cancellation, forgiveness, whatever, is helpful. But you know what, that's eventually. And mm-hmm. then what does that mean and what does that not mean? What I'm encouraged about is a lot of church sermons I'm hearing about now, not that I hear a lot of them now, right. but I, what I hear about are talking more explicitly about what forgiveness is not. Hopefully evangelicalism is finally saying it does not equate trust, it does not equate to intimacy. It, 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 no, it does, it does not equate to reconciliation in evangelical terms. Mm-hmm. It does not equate to those. So hopefully there's some progress in with them in that to mm-hmm. be able to say what is it and what is it not? It's for me. Yeah. It's not, not even for the relationship. It's
0: that's a huge one because that I think the, the misinformation about forgiveness is yes. so pervasive in evangelicalism.
2: Absolutely. And it's
0: it's so interesting. The the pastor of the the abusive pastor of the church that I work for in California is now deeply aligned with Ken Sandy, the Peacemakers guy who teaches wow. this. Like, he is, he, this is, this is what he teaches and like equal party responsibility. There is no, oh. no, there's no room for, and, and so, like, of course, this guy is like attaching to him because he, he benefits him. Yeah, <laughs> like, and sending bandages with him. Absolutely. It totally benefits the abuser. And then this guy that's teaching this very harmful uh, teaching on uh, conflict resolution that we've all been through, through the through the evangelical church, is so pervasive. And I mean, I ha- I had this used against me too, just like growing up and like, you're equally responsible for the problem. And there's no, no reference to power dynamic and no category for abuse in a lot of this teaching. And so I agree with you that there's some more understanding being taught in churches, but not.
1: Oh, but not there's enough. still a really strong <laughs> fundamentalist, dare I say, the whole neo-Calvinist and mm-hmm. all that movement is still really digging in their heels against all research about mm-hmm. what human dynamics, uh, what it looks like. But yes, it's, it's very sad. But there, I think there are strains of evangelicalism that are finally saying we've got to separate Mm -hmm. you know forgiveness from trust and intimacy and reconciliation it's a different thing so so Mm -hmm. there again i i talk about the f word (laughs) in my book and i talk about it it's it's a needed one to get clarity on to get permission it's your life you get to do with what you want it's not a man Mm -hmm. so
0: anyway you may already know this but the uncertain podcast is the affiliate podcast of tears of eden a nonprofit that serves as a community and resource for survivors of spiritual abuse. This podcast and the work of Tears of Eden are supported by donations from generous listeners like you. If you're enjoying this podcast, please consider giving a donation by using the link in the show notes or visiting tearsofeden.org support. You can also support the podcast by rating and leaving a review and sharing on social media. If you're not already following us, please follow us on Facebook at Tears of Eden and Instagram at Uncertain Podcasts. Thanks so much for listening. And now back to the show. You have been giving examples of spiritual abuse throughout this whole interview, but would you, do you have, sometimes people find definitions helpful? How would you define it if you, if you could?
1: Well, I do think it is helpful to give a definition because again, it's not a normal any abuse consists. Any abuse. Take that out of spiritual, but any abuse consists of some type of power differential, mm-hmm. where one person, or a group of people, or an institution has more power than another, and this is true of spiritual abuse. So this and this abuse can be perceived or real. So and there again, even defining what those are can be Ooh, really necessary. yeah. So this power can be held, again, by one religious person, a small group, a large group, or the implicit rules of a whole religious organization. And so the abusive, okay, so here's the core. The abusive person or institution has some sort of power that the abused person does not have. And they use that power, usually leveraging God or religious ideas to, I've got a bunch of words, manipulate, control, hurt exploit, suppress, silence, or
0: weaken the other person. Perfect. That is fantastic. That is great. And that's a very similar definition that we use for Tears of Eden, which is God in the Bible is used to cause shame and harm, leading to a breakdown in a relationship between God's self and others. Like very, very similar. Like Perfect. using using this thing, leveraging this power thing to, yes. to basically right. exploit, manipulate all these things that yes. you just... Exactly. You just mentioned, and when
1: and when it's when it's spiritual abuse, it's usually God or religious ideas that are leveraged for that mm-hmm. control. So, mm-hmm. um, and that's the power of. I mean, that's where it's super right.
0: power, which is why someone may not be in a position of power, like they might be your peer, but if they leverage God and they leverage the Bible, they might. That could also be spiritually abusive because they're like calling on a higher power.
1: I think you are one of the first people I have ever heard talk about that, except for me. Ah. Because that's exactly, I'm like, yes, a million times. Catherine, Mm -hmm. keep preaching it. Even if there is no specific power differential between two people, if one of my best friends where we're really equal in power starts Mm -hmm. leveraging God or leveraging the institution that I'm a part of and depend on, If they if that person leverages it against me, they now have more power Mm. because they're talking about the ultimate authority in the universe. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, and I I don't hear anybody talking about that. And I I talk about that in my book, that friend to friend, even Mm -hmm. without an explicit clear power differential or even a subtle power differential, if you leverage the institution or leverage the God or religious ideas, then you've shifted the power.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. What, what would you say? I mean, we've been saying it the whole time, but what would you say to just the evangelical church about this?
1: Mm. Actually, I think I'd say something a little different to the actual church. I mean, there again, I know your, your group are like my people. We've got people still in the church and people who yeah. left. And I, mm-hmm. I love that mixture. I love that mixture. I think one of the really from my gut is try your hardest, not to be defensive. Mm. I think the defense, Defensiveness within the church around this topic is, is if, if we could, if, if evangelicalism, instead of saying, well, all churches aren't like that, yeah. or not all pastors are like that, or well, our church doesn't do it that way, if mm-hmm. they could step back and non defensively open themselves to stories, to self critique. Mm-hmm. which again, for as mixed as the Mars Hill podcast has been for many of us who are survivors, at least there is something of a critique coming Absolutely. from within. And that's where I'm like, oh, please. you know. And there again, all of us have defensiveness. Every single human has it in you know, some way, shape or form. But if the leaders and, and, and followers, both of the institution, could step back and and let go of holding on so tightly to defending, well, ultimately God, which mm-hmm. I find hilarious. Like, wow, we're worshiping something here that is in need of our puny defense. Got it? Okay, mm-hmm. didn't know. You know, I mean, it's crazy. Why do mm-hmm. if, you know? But that is the it is the mentality. Our church can't look bad, or God looks bad, so we have to defend right. it. So if right. I if I could if I could talk to the evangelical church, that's probably what I would say is how can you untangle that and just be open Mm -hmm. and, 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 and receptive to stories and to ideas and
0: to the problems that exist there. Right. How prevalent would you say abuses in the evangelical church? We probably don't have any research or numbers on it, but I
1: don't think we do yet. Well, first of all, somebody has got to get, I'd love somebody to do research on this. I I am not a researcher, but Mm -hmm. I'd be so thrilled to help somebody who does some quantitative research on this. Like, what are we defining it? What does it concretely look like and how and when does it happen? It's going to be mm-hmm. a hard research.
0: It might be easier to I do think, the opposite of like, what, how do we define a safe church? <laughs> and like, oh, only 10% actually fit. That means 90% yeah. are unsafe. So we can safely say exactly. 90% of well, abuse. I and mean,
1: this brings up the question. And I talk about this in my book. I think it's super important. Those of us who've come out of religious abuse tend to be super black and white. Mm It's super all or nothing in our categories and our thinking. What I'm noticing is that people leaving evangelicalism, leaving the faith, often take that same all or nothing rigid perspective and put it on a different set of beliefs, Mm. which is so. And so I think this whole the way I view spiritual abuse is absolutely on a continuum Mm -hmm. because humans are on a continuum.
2: Mm -hmm. and
1: all of us have a dark side and a light side and so to me spiritual abuse if you have over here on one end of the spectrum a church that is about as healthy as it can get having real life humans in it you know because we all carry stuff with us and I see I see people as very much good and as just a general rule that's just Mm -hmm. how I view life especially when I got out of some evangelical stuff about that. Yeah. Uh, but, I, but I've always said uh, there's good in people. So as good as you can get is over here on this spectrum. And then you have the way far end of the other spectrum being, you know, explicitly cultish and physically abusive. You, you got that clear over here, which is why Scientology was coming out just a couple years after I started. I think that came out in 2016, maybe even yeah. before, I don't know, but that whole Leah Remini just blowing it open. And I sitting there fascinated going oh my gosh my religious abuse principles work across and i knew they did but i watched it over it works across any religious system and so Mm. you got like scientology where they're where people try to leave and they're physically hunting them down and dragging them back to the compound so you've got this whole spectrum of what is religious abuse and it's all through here and Mm. are some churches worse are some churches more rigid, more controlling, all of that sort of stuff, and leverage God in more destructive ways? You bet. There are some churches that are worse than others, and I'm, I'm using my hands a lot here, but going mm-hmm. down the spectrum from one to the other, I feel like that's an important framework to put on religious abuse, because people say, Connie, tell me the churches that are abusive in the area and the churches that aren't. I'm like, oh, yeah, no. <laughs> because, okay, and this is messy, but spiritual abuse is messy, so I'm going to say this. There's one church in the area that is absolutely known. It's, a, it's been a big powerhouse for decades. It is in the area and it is known for being just a machine when it comes to abuse. It's just, mm-hmm. it just chewed up and spit out people all over the place. And I pick up the, pick up the pieces from that church. I have, and all, most of my clients, I have a client that goes to that church and is consistently helped by what's going on at, their, mm. at in their church and there again she's my client i'm not gonna sit there and go no that's not helpful because first of all that's not my job to say mm-hmm. it's a it's it's her job to say and so she goes there and i listen to it and i just chuckle to myself going this is a mixture
2: mm-hmm.
1: she's being very supported now okay quick note she's not very active or high up in leadership. There you go. The the higher up you go in an abusive institution, the more you're going to be vulnerable to horrible Mm -hmm. abuse. I I pick up the pieces of associate pastors all the time. Oh my goodness. I just want to give them hugs because Mm -hmm. they are that middleman between often a horrifically abusive pastor trying Mm -hmm. to protect him and carry out his, his abuse Mm -hmm. when they're feeling conflicted and yucky about it. But that that associate pastor level is Mm -hmm. is symbolic of getting high enough to be so devastated by it and yet still be deeply in the middle of it. So it's messy. So I guess I look at that and I say, am I supposed to tell that gal you need to switch churches? Well, in my book, no. Am I going to keep my eyes open for Mm -hmm. problematic issues? You bet I am. Mm -hmm. Right now? She's, she's gaining a lot of good stuff from it. So mm-hmm. if that it's, it's messy. And so I, I refuse to tell people, they say, tell me what the good churches are. Cause I may say this is a good church and they may have a horrific interaction with somebody in leadership. That's very abusive because, right. of, and a lot of times I think pastors don't even know when they're using their power differential. Absolutely. Uh, poorly. So, okay. I just made a mess in there, but I think that is part of mature and kind of evolved thinking about life is it's a spectrum. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I'm still going to say that's abuse. I have no problem with that naming it and saying, Oh no, that's, right. that's abuse. But when we start talking about people and motives and, and churches and spec it, to me, it, it's got to fall on the spectrum.
0: So absolutely. Absolutely. And something that's helpful for people to take into when they are exper- you know, going to a church, trying to decide if they're going to, it may serve, for a couple years and then no longer serve and it's time to move on and you just have to decide Mm. if that's a if that's a journey you want to take
1: yes and that's that individual's choice and that's Mm -hmm. that autonomy and self-definition i'm coming back to i get to choose if i go to church where i go if when is is it serving me is it working for me right now if it's not that's that's your choice
0: Mm -hmm. we've kind of uh address this a little bit when we were talking about just like forgiveness, that forgiveness and reconciliation issue. What would you say is someone who is trying to differentiate between interpersonal conflict and spiritual abuse? How would they make that distinction?
1: That distinction, I think is even less about forgiveness and about power. If Mm. I have a conflict with one of my friends, if one of my friends, I'm thinking I got three best friends and If one of them turns around and says something cruel to me, it will devastate me. It will rip me open because these are good women and they wouldn't do that. But if they were to really turn on me for some reason, it would devastate me, would traumatize me. Mm -hmm. but It would not be not abuse. That's interpersonal. That's devastating. And they're, they're using a power play by doing that. They're trying to leverage power if they're attacking and, you know, ripping into me, mm-hmm. but in the relationship, there's the DNA of our relationship is really balanced power. So is that's interpersonal and that's devastating. But, but would you define
0: power, like power could power in that situation be knowledge? The fact that you have been vulnerable with them. So they have access to you that someone else doesn't yes. could that potentially still yes, fall in a, that category? Is, that is a
1: power. Right. And when I, I, in my book, I have a huge list of types of power differentials. Okay, And for the very end, I say, trust given mm. it, it's like, it's not even about, it's not even about a structure or, you know, cause I cover everything from a position of power To gender, race, marital status, Mm -hmm. personality type, you know, and I just go education, money. I mean, I just Mm -hmm. go down a huge list of what Mm -hmm. types of power differentials. But toward the very end, I just talk about, I gave trust to that person. Yeah. And they have power because of it. So in that way, you could say it has an abusive flavor because they're leveraging information about me potentially against
0: Mm -hmm. me. That's making me think I had a coworker several years ago. And this was before I had a category for abuse and a category for the word narcissism or anything like that. And I think back on that situation, she was a total narcissist and I became a target for her, but it was not near. It was, it was really uncomfortable. I did not enjoy working with her. She ended up turning a lot of the office against me. It was like a really difficult situation, but the trauma it wasn't the same impact of trauma because she's a coworker. She yeah. doesn't actually, I mean, she would try to like power play and all that kind of stuff, but she, the, yeah, the level of trauma wasn't the same because yeah. of that power dynamic.
1: Exactly. And one of the things is power over your reputation in my list. Mm. And so in some ways, if she was able to turn coworkers against you, there is yeah. that little different uh, power differential because Very power true. over reputation yeah. is a big one power over social support. If somebody has the power to sever your social support, ruin your reputation. Those are all power differentials.
0: Mm, so it could be, Ooh, there are a yeah. lot of things that could be of use.
1: <laughs> exactly. Well, and while we're at it, I mean, since we're talking about this, do you want me to pull up? i I can pull this up real quick as far as what, what power di- examples of power differentials. Do you want me to just run through sure. that real quick? Yeah. Okay. Okay, so a position of power, an actual position of power or, or authority. So that can be legal, religious in the workplace. I mean, on a broad scale, this is policemen, judges, bosses. So you got a positional power here. In mm-hmm. the church, it's going to be uh, small group leaders, Sunday school teachers, of course, pastors, board members, the choir directors. So positional, we got that then powered by demographics. All right, that's the second one. So under demographics you've got age difference. That's mm. a big one and that has a bell curve because yeah. as some in our culture we tend to take away power from the aging. Like in mm. eastern cultures a lot of times that never drops. It doesn't matter whether you have dementia, whatever, you're given that place of power. But in ours, so we're peaking, you know, I would say between 35 and 65, 60. I don't know. I'm older, so I want to make that a little further. Little <laughs> <older>. <laughs> anyway, but that power is in that range. So, uh, mm-hmm. of course, younger as a child, adolescent, early adult, but, you know, there's so you've got the age difference, a demographic. You've got gender, big one. Of course, in the church, we all know, you know, Absolutely. evangelicalism, not even a question. And then race. Mm-hmm. Uh, sexual orientation, you know gender or, or orientation, any of those are going there's going to be power on the, of course, the male, white, straight unit. Mm-hmm. So that's that's what they've got there. And then uh, also educational demographics. So the higher the education, you know I always chuckled e- even as a uh, young adult, I thought, why are medical doctors always on church boards? Well, nah. it's because they, they're, they're, get, they're put on this board for the education, you know, because they're highly educated, whether they're a good board member, it has nothing to do with whether they're a doctor, which always, that was the question mark. But, you know, nice. so, okay, so that's number two, the, dem- the demographic, then power by use of physical force, intimidation, or a weapon. And you think, well, oh my gosh, that doesn't happen in church. Well, it happened to me. My abuser mm-hmm. had a gun by his bed and threatened to use it on himself. That's mm-hmm. power. Yeah. So you got that and just a man standing up, you know, raising oh, himself. I know, using
0: a... their body.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sitting in a slower chair. I always love it. It's a wonderful life, that movie in the Christmas. When he does week.
0: the lower chair.
1: Yes. It's such it's <laughs> such a great, you know, this this power hungry guy places the chair lower, you know, and so he towers. It's just hilarious. I thought that's yes. so symbolic. It's so
0: perfect. Very symbolic. Um, Absolutely.
1: So, and the, Yes, it's great. So the fourth one is a power, power, you have power by your position of financial, academic or career control. Hmm. So, you know, this includes all educational facilities who are going to make you sign a doctrinal statement to get after you paid all your money to graduate, you know, I mean, they're going, that's getting less and less legal, which yay, mm-hmm. being both a Bible school and seminary graduate, yay, let's get rid of that. And so, you know, but if you have, you know, academic control, financial or career, if somebody there again, mm-hmm. this is where associate pastors get really, really screwed over because mm-hmm. their livelihood and career path and everything Absolutely. is in the hands of that senior pastor so Mm -hmm. okay and then five you've got power by just personal presence so i put in here things like physical appearance a powerful personality skill at manipulation some Mm -hmm. people are just skilled and others of us are like well i just say what i think i'm pretty straightforward and oh then you've got other people so the skill at manipulation the informally influential this is an important one it's i always use the example of the old granny whose father founded the church and she's now in her eighties and they're picking out carpet stuff. And she happens to walk by and go, I'm not fond of the blue. And everybody mm-hmm. knows that we're not going to have the blue carpet because yeah. Ethel said, you know, and it's like, it, that is, that is real. It's informal, but it's a real, nobody's going to oh, cross that's her. So, so.
0: great so great and
1: then then control we talked about this earlier over reputation and social support those are all in personal presence i kind of lump those in in these more ambiguous areas but that are absolutely real it's not that they're not real and then Mm -hmm. i have the last one of power by having been given trust you know if my Mm -hmm. if my friend turns on me that i've given my friend trust and that can be used against me and Mm -hmm. again i probably wouldn't say that's technically Abuse, but it has that part of the element of it.
0: Oh, it could so, be, yeah, and it might, yeah, and it might just be. Yeah. I mean, yeah, because like you might be able to just in that moment say "screw you," and and it doesn't imp- impact yeah. you, or right. it might, yeah, and it could, yeah. yeah. The level of right. trauma.
1: impact well, me. It would be, me. It'd be horrible loss. And be- <laughs>
0: yes, yes, yes totally. absolutely, yeah. I think I decided on the the name for this episode. I'm going to call it "Power and Control." spiritual abuse because that's been a huge part of our conversation so I think that
1: that... I think it's the central issue honestly Mm -hmm. if you go through my book and look at all the all the characteristics all of them have the underpinnings of somebody or an institution or a group having more control than Mm -hmm. than
0: Mm -hmm. the other person Mm -hmm. oh this is so good I'm so excited to share this with people appreciate this so much I appreciate all the work that you've done I will definitely do an intro for you and I will link to your information and I will link to your book, but is there anything else that you would like to say to folks listening about spiritual abuse?
1: Oh, I just, yes. Two, uh, two things immediately come to mind. You're starting to realize you're not alone mm. as you're not but some of us went through it. So isolated and mm-hmm. so confused and you're not alone. So that's good. And number two, there's hope. You know, I, I guess, you know, somebody told me one time, Connie, you don't have to say a word. You just have to say I was spiritually abused and just show up. And that gives hope. And I'm like, mm-hmm. yes, because yes, mm-hmm. I, I'm living a beautiful, full, good life that frankly, those two to three years after my abuse, I would have, I could not have wrapped my head around, mm-hmm. you know, and I've gone through some really hard things. I've had a horrible fight with cancer. I've got, you know, there's mm-hmm. been all kinds of stuff that have gone on since then that have definitely been a hard things. But I couldn't imagine being as well and whole and happy as I am now. So I just want to oh, say there's wonderful.
0: hope. There's there hope. is hope. I love that. Yes, there is. Uh, well, thank you so much for all you've done too. Thank
1: I'd you, hope. And keep up in the good, good work you're doing. I'm super excited
0: about what, what you're doing and who you're reaching. So. Thank you. Appreciate it. Well, I mean, that's a wrap. That was awesome. How a wonderful trip. You, uh, we'll chat again soon.
1: I'll look Thank you. To
0: from you. All right. All right. Talk to you later. Bye bye. Thanks so much for joining us today. Uncertain is the affiliate podcast of Tears of Eden, a community and resource for survivors of spiritual abuse. If you're enjoying this podcast, please consider making a donation by visiting tearsofeden.org/support. All donations are tax deductible. Intro music featured in this episode is from the band Green Ashes. Before you go, please take a moment to like, subscribe, or leave a review, and don't forget to share this podcast show with everyone you know. I'm Catherine Spearing, and I'll see you next time.